another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective. The show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 9, Episode 7, which is titled Tell Me Where It Hurts. The episode aired on November 14, 2002. Lauren was going that week 21 years ago. Oh god, the first case of SARS is recorded in Foshan City in Guangdong Province in China, though it is not identified until much later. The fir- first patient is thought to be a farmer in the city. Uh, guys, this was the first, like, was this, did this become a pandemic or was it more of an endemic at this point? Uh, I think it technically was a pandemic, but, like, not I remember there was a vaccine for it super early. Yeah. And it didn't, it didn't, uh, ex- you know, unlike COVID, it didn't really extend much outside of mm-hmm. Asia. Like, not to say that there wasn't any involvement in the Western world, but, like, it was pretty much, like, pretty well contained to that part of the world. And because they kind of did the shit they were supposed to do. Like, they they stayed apart from each other and, like... Uh, masks. Did, masks, right. Like, I, I yeah. have vivid memories of seeing people in, yeah. in China and uh, Korea and places like that wearing masks just out and about. Uh, yeah. in the wake of SARS and like it was yeah it, it was one of those things that like I definitely remember this happening I remember it being a news story but not really fully understanding what mm-hmm. was happening um, and all of those memories you know of course uh, came flooding back in 2020 when all the, yep. the COVID stuff kicked off 8 Mile rapper Eminem's biopic drama and starring Eminem himself in his movie debut Brittany Murphy and ER alums Mikhail Pfeiffer and Chloe Greenfield debuts and defeats all other movies in a rap battle to take the box office crown. I forgot about Chloe Greenfield. I'm sorry. That's why we, That's why more than one person reads the notes. <laughs> uh, and coinciding with 8 Mile's release, Eminem's song Lose Yourself soars to the top of the music charts. It was the first ever hip-hop song to win an Academy Award for Best Original Song. What? Yeah. I mean, you heard me. What else? What else the would there notes. have really been? Uh, you know, hip hop songs that were heavily featured in a Oscar, Oscar. What what they would deem Oscar worthy movie? You know, yeah. what, much as much as I enjoyed it as a child, Ninja Rap was not going to be considered for uh, best <laughs> best original song for the Academy Awards. I'm not sure that I mean, Walk This Way really counts as an original song for anyone. It's yeah. Well, and then technically that was originally an Aerosmith song first, so I don't know that it would have... It, was, it, wasn't it Aerosmith and Run DMC? Well, it was Aerosmith's song first, and then Run DMC did like a remix collaboration oh, thing okay. with Aerosmith, and that and that was the song that like really was more popular. Like it Shows what I know. Yeah, but... Uh, I'm white, but this song was fucking everywhere. Oh, yeah, I was obsessed Holy with... Holy shit. I was fucking obsessed with Lose Yourself as a... As a little little twelve year old boy who wanted nothing more in the world than to be black, uh, the, uh, <laughs> lose yourself was tailor made for me in two thousand and two. Jake there can are, tell you, I was I was running also, around in basketball jerseys and backwards no. hats and 
the the whole nine Daniel. yards oh yeah there were uh several people like that around this time i vividly, vividly remember in middle school after this movie came out and after this song was everywhere but 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 i am living proof that you can uh have uh had that regrettable part of your adolescent upbringing and still never once have said the n-word on purpose so exactly. uh you know it doesn't have to just come with the territory gang you don't have to have a regrettable period of your adolescence where you just throw around the n-word willy-nilly <clears throat> Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode, the one with Ross's inappropriate song. Bet, his, bet that song has the N-word in it. Uh, at 8.30, Scrubs <laughs> with the episode, My Fruit Cups. At 9, Will and Grace with the episode, The Needle and the Omelette's Done. And at 9.30, Good Morning Miami with It Didn't Happen One Night. Uh, this week's episode had 24.2 million viewers tuning in, directed by Richard Thorpe, doing his 20th out of 31. Last time we saw him was the second episode of the season, Dead Again, uh, and written by R. Scott Gemmel, doing his 14th out of 32. And last time we saw him was the uh, season premiere, Chaos Theory. And no Pratt and no Romano this week, outside of one very notable exception that Lauren will talk about now. <laughs> uh, previously on is brought to us by Romano. It feels like like he's had a ton of them lately. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got one of he's got one of the better I feel like voices, uh, voices like without needing to see his face, like yeah, very uh, uh, authoritative. Then we go over to Carrie looking at an ultrasound, talking to a tech, and it turns out it's her ultrasound. Yay. Oh my god, she's pregnant. She mentions like she uses she says he when talking about it, but she thinks it's a boy, but she does not want to know. They do not know yet. She does not want to know. But happy, healthy little baby growing inside of Carrie. We were right, guys. She's she's trying to have a baby. In case we didn't figure this one out already. Um, but then we see Chen doing rounds with Harkins and Gallant, uh, which is the funniest thing. I love watching <laughs> these two just compete to be right. And uh, I yeah, can't right? remember who says it, but this is a teaching hospital, not medical jeopardy. It's um. It's Chen when they're uh, they're in the trauma room, which is a, yep. a nice little. Um, I, at least I took it this way. It's a nice little callback to Carter and Chen. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but then Susan brings Harkins in to put a cast on an older woman who has no pulse. We learn this is Sister Beth, and with that we are in with some bangs. And oh, it's still me. Okay, uh, <laughs> I can take something if you no, want. No, it's fine. I just I just zoned for a second. Uh, but then Malik wakes Nathan up because Lizzie is looking for him, and Frank asks Susan to use one of the other computers so she's not near him when God strikes her down for killing a nun. <laughs> and Nathan oh, heads. Frank, Frank, Frank is on fire this episode. He really. And Nathan is. heads out. Yes, he, we get a lot of good Frankisms. But then Nathan heads out to admit looking for Lizzie, and. Oh, an elderly man comes in yelling to not let anyone touch his face, and they go to get Haldol and to calm him down when Nathan punches the dude across the face because of a muscle tremor. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. Yeah, damn, damn dyskinesia. Yep. And then, oh no, Jody comes in looking for Eric. They were in Indiana, but they had a fight, and he blew off the handle and took off, and he has not gone back to base, so we learn that he has been on unauthorized absence for two whole weeks. Great. No one's surprised. And and we said Jody was a one-off fun of, clearly. Oh, yeah, so, (laughs) uh, yeah, I was very, and, like, part of the nature of the way we record these, uh, I now have to live with the existential dread of 
knowing that I'm going to get a thousand ats from people being like, um, actually, like, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. Like, the it sucks, e- doesn't the, it? The episode hey. is already in the can. Like, it's already ready to go. Like, there's nothing sucks. I can do about it. I just have to mm-hmm. live with it, knowing that people are going to do that. And Golly, imagine that happening. So, so not only not only was it not her only appearance, although this one is her last appearance, it was also Lake Bell's first on-screen appearance of any kind last episode. Like, I, I fudged that one as well. So, uh, oopsie. Daniel, I have not uploaded it to our podcasting oh, hosting that, site. Uh, so. that, to, to quote Lauren's uh, favorite movie that will never be an ER movie, that train has sailed. Like, once <laughs> once I have uh, – Austin Powers. Once I have, once I have like, put my stamp on an episode and it's done, you boy's not going back and redoing his homework, even if it's wrong. Like, that's just – that's not going to happen. But I do have to live with the, the like – dread of knowing that I'm going to be getting a bunch of like "Mm, actually and like yes I know I already know the amount of times too that we get those like midway through an episode and then if they continue to listen for 10 more minutes they'll be like oh you corrected yourself later yeah maybe wait till the end of the episode and then correct us we love you all (laughs) sorry airing of grievances aside we know you're just as excited to be right as we are Anyway, a uh, man was brought in from Navy Pier. His name is Joel. Uh, Nathan and Lizzie are looking him over. He has pancreatic cancer that was diagnosed three months ago. And Lauren? Whose films are those? I really keep picking really unfortunate times to do this. And I'm exactly. sorry. They, they haven't given you very many good opportunities recently. It's yeah. always been in very tonally inappropriate or, moments. Or it's just I notice them at the worst moments. Because there are some good spots in here, but it's just I got to do it when I notice it or else it's not going to get grabbed. That's fair. Uh, he's not doing too well with his treatment. I mean, it's a very advanced form of pancreatic cancer. It's a very aggressive form. So he's like, what happens if you don't do anything? And Nathan's like, maybe maybe a couple months and you'll eventually, you'll eventually slip into a com- uh, diabetic coma and die and then so and then he it's not a very painful way to die though according to lizzie uh, and susan offers hospice as an option as you would for someone who's in his last days and he says he's no longer interested in further treatment he would prefer to die comfortable home in a home comfortable in his, in his own home in his barca lounger exactly yeah uh, and the patient Joel here is played by actor K.E. Cooter? Cutter? Lauren? <laughs> I'm going to say Cutter. Cutter. Just, I kind of want to say Cooter. Uh, I, but, I would say Cooter. <laughs> uh, he appeared. Couture. He appeared in stuff Couture. like. He appeared in stuff like The Last Starfighter, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Watermelon Man, and had 140 credits to his name, and did pass away in 2003, so just the very next uh, year after this uh, episode aired. So uh, only a matter of months himself. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But we then uh, get our next trauma coming in, uh, a guy named Greg, suffering from a gunshot wound from a shotgun blast to the face. Uh, and as you might imagine, they are uh, kind of assuming that this is a suicide attempt. Um, but uh, we find out that it was actually his 10-year-old brother, Tommy, who did it on accident. He was playing around with Dad's gun, and Greg here tried to get it from him so that he wouldn't hurt himself. And it went off in his face. Uh, don't keep guns in your house. Don't keep guns, period. But uh, definitely yeah. don't keep them in your house, especially where your kids can get them. 
Uh, and uh, great A plus uh, gold star for the eye makeup on Greg here too. Like they really, they really went all out. Really spared no expense. Uh, and uh, Greg here is played by actor Josh Keaton, who is uh, best known as a voice actor. Uh, he has done voices on Voltron. Uh, the uh, he played young Hercules in the Disney movie. Uh, hey. and is the voice of the spectacular Spider-Man up to and including the most recent Into the Spider-Verse sequel. Um, no. So, yeah. Dude's all over. The, like, he has so many voice acting credits. He has 263 credits, period, total to his name. And I would went, I would wager to guess that about 85 to 90% of those credits are voice acting credits. So this guy is a decorated voice actor. Um, Good for him. Yeah. So we'll see a little bit more, Greg, as we go along here. Uh, but uh, we go back over to Lizzie, who says uh, they're going to do what they can to make Joel comfortable. Uh, and Nathan uh, pulls Susan aside uh, to say that they should pursue other options and, uh, quote, this guy could be just having a bad day. Uh, so a bit of a pattern developing here with uh, Nathan with regards to terminal patients. Uh, but we then see a guy named Mike, uh, Mike Dobbs, who's coming in looking for Luca. And he says, I'd appreciate it if you'd stop seeing my wife. Uh, and Luca's like, maybe you should talk to your wife about this, bro. And he's like, uh, well, what am I supposed to tell my daughters when their mother doesn't come home? And I, this guy is like one of the most tragic characters in the entire episode. And he's on screen for all of like 90 seconds. But just like, he's so like, he's such a like, just a guy like he's just like he's not mad like he doesn't come in like guns blazing like trying to you know punch luca out or or even like he's not even particularly that mad at him he's really just like dude can you just like leave me alone like he's just like it's so let let me try to repair my family yeah like he's such a like you feel so bad for this guy and he's barely on screen but it's just like oh man luca what are you doing my dude everything but looking at himself hey fair enough well, Abby's looking for Eric. Uh, she leaves a message for Eric, and Susan asks what's going on with her day, and they're like, oh, yeah, my day sucks. Oh, yeah, my day sucks. And Susan's like, well, at least you haven't killed anyone. I'm 0 for 2. They talk about uh, all the gross charts that aren't likely to croak, and Susan ends up going <laughs> with a 300-pound man with a swollen scrotum. With the best line of the episode, screw it, give me the swollen scrotum. <laughs> I sort of like, I mean, it, it's a little, it toes the line of, of Fat Shaby a little bit, but like, uh, Susan says something like, like, ah, oh, he's like 350 pounds or whatever. And Abby with the deadpan line delivery of, yeah, it's a big scrotum. Like, she- yep. <laughs> there, there is some shit later where I'm very grateful for Nathan and we will get there. But, um, Harkness then asks Carter to reassess one of her patients because he has not responded to any i think it was like allergy treatment or something mm-hmm. he's just not quite getting his breathing right and we see abby in the lounge and she calls the base posing as eric's health provider so she can get his records from them and find out what's really going on and they say they need the treating physician's name she says oh hold on just a moment that would be john carter abby so implicating carter in some you know felony shit whatever i don't know but breaking the law is it just me and we'll get to we'll get to the the meat of it when we get there but is it just me or is carter not nearly as upset about this as he should be (laughs) like i sort of feel like carter should be a lot madder about this when the revelation comes out i think it's one of those things where maybe not in the middle of the episode but like 
after it sinks in and after the immediacy of the fucking fire is put out, mm. that would absolutely be a sit down and have a chat moment. Yeah, like I and you know, you know, you know all of us, but especially me, biggest Abby defenders out there. Like, uh, this is this is not a good. look. This is no. This is her being possessed by the ghost of Mark Green. Like, this is yes. This is her doing some Mark Green genie boulet horse shit here, and I, I do not love it. It is not a good look. But it's her family. It's still it's not. That makes it worse. I know. Yeah. I yes, I am aware. I mean, I, I get I get the motivation. I get the impetus on her part to want to do it because she is concerned. It's coming from a place of, of uh, you know, a, a good place. It's not coming. She's not doing it to, like, try to harm him. She's trying to make sure that he's okay. But it's still wrong. Like, it's still not a good thing to do. No, Luca asked Greg how he's feeling and still can't see anything in either eye. And apologizes to Chuni. Like, a genuine apology. Like, finally. Yeah. Uh, she steps out of the room. And, yeah, Greg has a shotgun pellet in one in each eye, I believe. is. Yep, that's what we find out. Yeah. Oof. Not just the big bruised one, but there's one in the other one, too. Yeah. Also, I love this moment with Luca and Chuni. Because she's, like, very grace gracious with her, like, with her being like, yep, me too. Yeah, I I had completely uh, forgotten that there was any sort of entanglement uh, between the two of them. So like, when back when we were interviewing her, like I that it never even crossed my mind to formulate a question, you know, because like this is the second time they've done this now with uh, with Juni. They've had her uh, entangled with a doctor. Uh, Stop saying entangled. I, I I could tell by the look on your face how much you liked it. So I wanted. To- I needed an excuse to use it again. <laughs> no, really, I, I hate to tell you, it, I'm not giving you any credit. I'm actually really distracted because there's an adult just swinging in the swing set behind our apartment right now, and They're it's really distracting. And you're, and, <laughs> and you're really envious because you'd rather be on the swing set than talking about I this episode. I can neither confirm nor deny this, but yes, it's both this adult on the swing set and you saying entangled repeatedly <laughs> that have me where I'm at right now. Uh, well, we then see uh, Abby uh, stopping Carter, asking if she can talk to him. Uh, Hale uh, brings over a little boy uh, and uh, a woman found unresponsive by a neighbor and they can't get a clear name out of her. Uh, neither could subtitles in this episode. Not very helpful at all. Um, Thanks, Ulu. Yeah. Uh, Abby then gets a call from Eric on her cell phone and Carter is uh, trying to listen in on uh, both Harkins and uh, Gallant and Abby's call at the same time Uh, and uh, they're going to give the patient here some charcoal while they work on trying to figure out what exactly is wrong with her they're suspecting an overdose but they don't know for sure now I know we talk about like why this happens but do we ever get confirmation that that's what happened Phrase your question like, more specifically, because I don't understand so, what you mean. <laughs> so we know why she could. This could have been a suicide attempt. Oh, but do I see. We, do we get confirm? I'm sorry, that was worded really poorly. But do we get direct confirmation that that's what this was, and like, if it was an attempt? And yeah, what she done? I'm gonna say no. That okay, we don't. That's get, what I thought. We don't get a firm sort of like, yes, I was trying to kill myself because I'm upset about my situation and I feel helpless. Yeah. I feel like this. It's all just heavily 
I don't even know that it's really implied. I really feel like this, this let's say, air quotes attempt, I really feel like is just an, uh, a MacGuffin to get them into the ER. Like, I feel like they wanted mm. to tell this story and they needed a way to get her into the ER and they chose this way and mm. didn't really flesh out the other, which, let's be honest, is kind of a hallmark of R. Scott Gimmel's writing, uh, that it's, uh, <laughs> it's not usually fleshed out and there's usually unnecessary dick jokes and or fat-shaming jokes. Um, but, <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, there's sometimes a little bit left to be desired on the motivation front of the writing there. Like there's sometimes they, they forget to, they forget to bring it around and complete the circle. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that it's not resolved, at least not in like plain terms. They're not going to say like, yeah. yeah, this is why she came in. Sorry. I phrased that real dumb. <laughs> it's fine. And uh, Nathan's in the room with Joel and then the attending psychiatrist on call and Lizzie walks in and pulls Nathan aside, as she should. Nathan asked him to come down and didn't run this by Susan or Lizzie first. He's an when, N. When Susan is the attending on call for this. Yeah. Just to... And, oh, God, excuse me. Just to make that abundantly clear, like, yeah. she is the supervising doctor for this case. And guess what? Mr. Na- uh, Mr... Joel here is now uh, willing to consider other options, such as a grueling six-hour operation that has months of recovery time called a Whipple. It's such a fun name for such an awful surgery. It's such a fun name. I believe we've mentioned Whipples. Oh, we've now, definitely actually. mentioned Whipples before. I, have... I, I don't remember if I, I'm pretty sure I told this story before, but this was the yes. this was the procedure that I was scouring every episode for because Dinah Linney asked me oh, yeah, for a yeah, random yeah, yeah. scene that involved a Whipple, and this was the scene that I thought I had found it. I thought I had found the thing she was looking for. Uh, no, it was not. She was like, "Great!" Darn. She was like, "Great try!" And I feel so bad for having to say no, but this is not what I was looking for. Uh... Can we yeah, talk Lizzie to point... her again? I miss her. I'm sure you could. I'm sure if yeah, she's on Instagram, reach out. But yeah, Lizzie points out that that's absolutely insane thing to even consider when this guy has two months if we do nothing, as Nathan points out, or an undeterminate a year maybe it less than a year he's gonna be dead in less than a year no matter what so nathan's really just god ah i love don Cheadle. i hate paul nathan (laughs) (laughs) boy howdy because he's like this yeah there's a lot um but then we go over to this unconscious girl she's got normal vitals no high blood alcohol content. We learn that she's pregnant. And Carter asks if anyone has... Sheen has seen Chen in case she can translate on behalf. We do not have the patient's name yet, but that is Tong Yi. Yes, Tong Yi. Uh, and she is played by uh, actress Michelle Krusiek, uh, who appears in stuff like Hollywood, uh, The Invitation, and the Revival uh, series of Hawaii Five-0. All the shows to revive. And of all the shows, isn't that still on? It might. The revival? Uh, it may be. It definitely is one of the more successful revivals of those, like, 70s properties. Uh, it was seemingly in spite of itself. It, like, continued for quite a while. It's like I watched, for, like, one episode with my mom, and it was god-awful. But maybe it was just a bad week. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, let's go to our first audio clip here. Carter's asking Abby how Eric sounded. Sorry, maybe that was right in the middle of the trauma. I know. Maybe you'll call back. Check your home machine? <clears throat> no, I didn't have a chance to. 
Well, how did he sound? Depends on who you ask. He sounds great. He's happy, he's carefree, he's having the time of his life. I think this, the uh, fact that he called is a pretty good yeah, sign. he's manic, Carter. Say, Abby, here's two of the country's finest looking for a patient. I'm Sergeant Andrews with the Air Force's Office of Special Investigation. I understand you're treating Eric Wazinski. No. Why, we were, but we're not now. He left against medical advice. Any idea where he may have been going? Uh, no. I'm sorry we can't be more helpful, but we have an emergency coming in. What about the doctor who treated him? You need to take a trauma upstairs. If you leave your card with the desk clerk, we'll call you if he shows up again. What was that all about? I was about to tell you. These your brother's medical records? I said we were treating him. It still required his signature. And a written request from his attending physician, which in this case was forged my name too. You know how much trouble we could get into for this? Let's read it. No. I have no right to read this, and neither do you. Okay, he took a leave of absence for post-traumatic stress following a near-miss incident. Yeah, so? He's an air traffic controller. It's a stressful job. He had therapy, but was never medicated. Probably no reason to, just a reaction to the event. Okay, what if it isn't PTSD? What if it was depression? The initial presentation of a bipolar disorder. He's too old. He's not, he's under 30. Well, then he'd be at the far end of the curve. Been suffering from insomnia, lack of appetite. Both of which, consistent with PTSD. Okay, six months ago he was depressed. Now he's cycling up to a manic phase. The timing is perfect. I know this. Well, then why didn't the Air Force catch it? Because they're not looking for it. Look. No family history of psychiatric disorders. He's lying to the doctors. Just like you did to get those records. Mm, mm, mm. Excellent point, though. Excellent point, Carter. Lots of excellent points. Team Carter on this one. Yeah. Feels a little dirty to say, but yeah. <laughs> for once carter isn't the bitch in this situation i know right what a weird i actually i actually like him this episode yeah no he's, he's not not too bad like there's a very it's especially in this season it's been very rare to find a, an example where we don't have to complain about something so points to carter he's in he's inheriting some of that mark green wisdom well, yeah, barely. sort of. He's ha he's haunting the entire episode. All the bad stuff went to Abby, and uh, all the uh, all the good stuff went to Carter. Just this week, though. Just this week, only once, only as a treat. Um, but yeah, then we go. Nathan comes in. Another one of Susan's patients died, Mister Swollen Scrotum, and she and Malik are making fat jokes at the dead patient's expense. Let's say this, they're joking about a dead patient right over his corpse and nathan's like yeah you're having a bad day he's probably having a worse one let's let's have a little bit of contractually obligated uh straight white man devil's advocate corner uh here can we make can we get a stinger for that um would if they're gonna make the fat shamey jokes wouldn't we rather they do it to a dead patient than a live one well, yes, but it's still okay. fucking terrible. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just asking questions, bro. I'm just asking questions. Just positing a hypothesis. <laughs> just playing devil's advocate, bro. Right. Just have... Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought he was going to be asking more questions, no. like devil's no, advocate. No, no, no. Just the just the one. No. 
No, just the one. He okay. just shout. He's the first kind of person who shouts, "Debate me, bro!" Yeah, come on, bro. Yep. And then as soon as you say yes, they're like, "Oh, I'm busy." So with that being said, <laughs> Luca then shows up at the golf course looking for the uh, ophthalmologist because the guy's apparently playing around a golf, not on call. He pulls onto the course, onto the course in his car. What? Uh, and he tells the guy to get in his fucking car, essentially. He's, what about my clubs? Tells his friend, take his clubs. Just... And this is indeed in Chicago. Oh, is it? There is a golf course, unfortunately, right near Irving Park Road <laughs> on, along Lakeshore Drive. Oh, uh, that's phenomenal. This also, yeah, it's this also rem- an awful waste of public green of public what should be public green space. That that is true. Uh, abolish all golf, or at least let them be overgrown. Like, but make it challenging. Like, you know, if you're gonna go golf, like, you know, make a make a challenge out of it. Stop. Make it, yeah. Put it on hardcore mode. Come on. Um, <laughs> this also reminds me of a scene in uh, The Sopranos, which ends much differently. But Tony and one of his goons pulls up on a golf course to confront a doctor, one of Uncle June's doctors. Yes, I. I do remember that from and the parts that I did see. Basically, threat, basically threatens him uh, that he needs to return Uncle June's phone calls. And uh, I think he, like, tosses one of his uh, clubs into the, the lake or something. But it just it, it, it gave me vibes of that. It was a very funny visual, uh, Luca as Tony Soprano. Uh, and our eye doctor here is played by actor James Sutorius, who uh, – which great name. Just fucking excellent A-tier name there, Sutorius. Uh, sounds like a – one of your fucking Dark Souls characters. Uh, and Yeah, no, I'll take it. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he appeared in stuff like The Doctors, The Pretender, uh, and the TV series Dynasty. And Carrie says they're doing a good job with keeping up with the patient flow. And now we have Frank with another, <laughs> with another zinger here. He says, easy to do that when you keep killing them. Gotta say again, Troy Evans, one of my favorite people on this earth. Carrie tells Susan she's taking time off for personal reasons and susan may uh, may parentheses will have to pick up some admin slack and susan chides frank's for his sass and susan chides frank for his sass yeah i love how she's like you try fucking saving people asshole yeah this feels like one of again this feels a little bit like an old school episode where it feels remember in the early seasons where we would have occasionally these episodes where susan was just going through it like susan was just having like a day at work and uh this felt like a little bit of one of those like just poor susan just keeps getting served l after l oh daniel speaking of early days on on our Instagram, I saw you posted a thing about starting from season one, and for a minute I worried about you. I need you to know that. I was like, is he really? No, no. It was just a... Uh, I, I, it I, was an excellent post, I liked but the, I was just like... I liked the TikTok template, and so I decided to retrofit it for my own needs. I uh, worried about you was all. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, we go from there. Uh, one of Susan's patients from this morning wants to be extubated. Uh, Chuni drags her in, and we get a, a contractually obligated Jerry appearance where he says uh, 20 bucks says she kills this one too, which just made me that much more excited for when we truly get Jerry and Frank together on a regular basis. Like, I just... When the, the documentary making team of Frank and Jerry. I love those two together so much. One of my favorite pairings in the entire show. Uh, we then see Carter has Gallant telling Abby uh, the potential punishment for Eric's absence. I did like that little bit of like character through line yeah. there that they were like, yeah, let's let's haul Gallant in on this because uh, he would know. 
And uh, Abby, of course, is a little pissed. I would say rightfully pissed if it wasn't for the fact that she committed a little bit of, like, medical fraud and uh, put Carter's license in jeopardy, like, 20 minutes ago. Uh, I would, would it be say... wire fraud, too, since it was I'm sure in there's things... interstate transmission? I'm sure there's... Jake is somewhere screaming and pounding his desk right now to... <laughs> as we, like, get all of these details wrong. Uh, but uh, Abby is a little bit upset here because he's talking to med students about her personal situation. But, like I said, I kind of feel like she lost the ability to be upset uh, when she did the whole light fraud thing. Uh, but uh, we then see a Mr. and Mrs. Jung coming in to look for their son who was brought in with the the unconscious woman from earlier. Uh, as Lord mentioned, the patient's name we learned is Tong Yi. Uh, she's the, the uh, family's nanny. And uh, Carter pulls the uh, husband aside to ask questions about her mental status and uh, inquiring about does she have a boyfriend? Is she having problems in her personal life? What uh, what might be going on here? And he insists that she is not and cannot be suicidal because uh, she lives with them and has lived with them for four years and they would know. I want to point this out, though. Uh, Carter's asking about the boyfriend because she's pregnant, but he's already like something's fucking up. He's yes, like, he, yeah. he is. Of course, uh, he doesn't tell Mr. Young right. about right. the pregnancy. No, but I'm just saying he's like you can sort of he better read the body. He better language. say she has a boyfriend because otherwise. Yes, you Shit's worse. You, you can sort of uh, read the body language from Carter here and, and discern that uh, he knows something's fucky here. So um, and uh, Mr. Jung here is played by actor. I'm going to say the first name is pronounced Z uh, T Z I uh, Z Ma. Uh, and he is uh, best known for appearing in stuff like Rush Hour, The Quiet American and Arrival. Uh, and he has one hundred and twenty nine credits to his name. All right, and then we go up to the surgical floor. Lizzie is scrubbing in to do the Whipple on Joel, and Shirley is very surprised. Like, really? We're going to do Whipple on this guy? He's a little little old, don't you think? And she has Nathan with her as she scrubs in, calls him the patron saint of the terminal ill, which is probably pretty accurate, and tells him, oh, you got us into this mess. You're going to assist. So Nathan in surgery for the first time. See how this goes. I'm betting not well. <sighs> and speaking of things not going well, Carter um, brings Mr. Young in to see Tong Yi, and he at uh, Mr. Young asks if they can take her home or have her moved to a private facility. And Carter's like, "Can you ask her why she did this? Because like, we need help translating." And he, she says something to him, and he just goes, oh, she just drank some wine with sleeping pills. It was an accident. The kid's been up, and she hasn't been sleeping great, so she just tried to, she was just trying to get a good night's sleep. And Carter just goes, she said all that? It's like two seconds of speaking Chinese. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's very, very hand-wavy uh, on his yeah. part. And things continue not to go well as Nathan is in surgery with Lizzie, and of course he is having issues with his fine motor control. And he knocks over all the sterile equipment and gets thrown out of the OR. Oof. Oof. Not great. Rough day. And I love how he's like, well, can I do anything? Can I do it? Lizzie's like, no, you are not going to do anything now. Or like you've done enough or something. Something like that, yeah. And then we have our next trauma, Carl Vanosh with 32. Uh, He was in a motorcycle accident against a truck. 
and Oof. Quinn, his 11-year-old son, was also in the accident. No good, no good. Um, and so that's we see them come in, and then we go back to Mr. Young, and he asks who Chen is when he sees her in the room with Tong Yi, and he's like, "I should be translating for her. We don't need we don't need another doctor." Um, and Carter has Carter's like, "It's fine, it's fine." And Carter goes in and has Chen ask if Tong Yi is sleeping with Mr. Young. Oh my God, the plot thickens. <laughs> This whole thing's a fucking mess. Oh, my God. Um, but then we see Carrie is working on uh, Carl with Gallant, and Susan yells for help with Quinn because she's struggling to stabilize him. Uh, Carrie has Malik shut the trauma doors because, of course, Carl is like, what's going on with my kiddo? Worried as he should be. Um then we see Mr. and Mrs. Young arguing, and we learn that their doctor is moving Tong Yi to another facility. And Carter straight up asks, after the wife walks away, if he is having sex with Tong Yi, because she says that he's the father of her baby. Oof. Where is Jerry Springer when we need him? Um, oh, God. And in that was case... early, early season. That was early last season? Yeah. yeah. But, um... And now it gets to the point of the episode where I'm just going to curl up and die for a while. Um, Eric shows up talking to Carter a mile a minute about Jody and how terrible it was and how she just, you know, she's just crazy. And if she's anything like her mom, oh boy, that's going to be too much for me to handle, if you know what I mean. And just keeps going. Just, yes, just absolutely manic. And Carter's just like, hey, buddy, like just kind of tries to figure out what's going on and. We see Luca has sent Greg up to surgery because he does, in fact, have a pellet in both eyes. So, good. He got the ophthalmologist back. Greg's going to get taken care of. Cool. All right, let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, Eric greets Abby as he's chatting away with Carter. Hey, Abby. So I'm in a position where I can buy the Cessna or two planes that need some fixing I'll be at the same price. I've been calling you. So I hear. Uh, I'm sorry Jody dragged into this. She's immature. She likes the drama. What can I say? It's the Jerry Springer generation. You know? Um, you were supposed to be back at your base two weeks ago. Did they call here? Uh, no. That's the second time this year somebody's messed up my leave. I mean, I can straighten it out with a phone call, but I'll have to report for duty on Monday. We should do something crazy. You guys want to go somewhere? How about uh, you, me, and Carter fly to Vegas, huh? We could do a little gambling, maybe hit Neville's wedding chapel. You guys could take care of business. You may now kiss the bride. I'll take a Eric, just come here. Just stop it. They said you're suffering from post-traumatic stress? What? That was nothing. They, they cleared me. Every controller I know has had a couple PTSD assessments. It's our way of working the system and get a little extra time off. We even joke about it. How do you know when an air traffic controller is suffering from post-traumatic stress? His tackle box is missing. You know, he's gone fishing. But I hate going fishing. I mean, I, remember when I got that, that hook stuck on my finger? Do you remember that? It was a frog lure. Yeah, I got your medical records. What? You didn't tell him Maggie was bipolar. <sighs> you did what? What are you, the KGB? No, Sergeant Eric Wazinski. You called the MPs? No. No, no. Why did you You're do under this? arrest for unauthorized absence from the United States Air Force. Wait, hold on a second, guys. Somebody was supposed to cover for me and got in a bad accident. I, I was on the road. I didn't find out until just now. I, I called my CEO. I I'm headed back to base right now. I just came here to tell my sister. I mean, they called here looking for me and freaked her out. It's been a huge mix-up. Abby, tell him. Tell him. Well, we'll figure that out on the way back. Hey. Hold on. Right. That is very unnecessary. Let hey, me get my stuff out of my car. Stop. Let me get my stuff. Don't hurt him. Listen. Let me go. I can explain everything, okay? Just, I need to go. Seriously. I, 
can't be arrested. I've got a job can't to do. Can we just talk about this, or at least let me give him something to calm him down? I'm afraid we can't do that, man. Is this man. what you wanted, Abby? No. Huh? Are you happy now? Yeah, that's right. Lock me up and throw away the key. Eric's been a bad boy. Thanks a lot, Abby. Thank you. Well. This is fine. I'm fine. This is fine. That certainly escalated. Hmm. How are we feeling about this whole Eric storyline so far? Uh, I actually uh, would venture to say uh, that, like, while the individual performances maybe are a little... I don't know. Like, I feel like he actually is doing a really good job with it, uh, Tom Everett Scott. But, like, from a quality storytelling standpoint, I actually kind of a little bit prefer Abby's brother to the Paul Nathan storyline. Like, I, like... I think he's actually like not that they share any screen time together, but I do think he is actually holding his own in a like one to one with Don Cheadle a little bit. Like I think he is doing a fairly decent job, particularly because, like I said, I in the last episode, I feel like he has done his homework with regards to Maggie. Like I feel like he watched a yeah. lot of film of Sally Field playing Maggie and picked up on a lot of little nuanced things that really add to the character and really add to the portrayal. And just like you know, as much as I am in, as much as I am enjoying the uh, performance of Don Cheadle as Paul Nathan, the story of the arc has left a lot to be desired, in my opinion. Like the story of Paul Nathan pales in comparison to the performance of of the character Paul Nathan. If that makes any sense, that makes total sense. I like the slow escalation of Eric's storyline. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Like yeah. from like okay. This is a little out of the ordinary, but okay. He seems happy. Everything's fine. Everything everything might be okay. To just now where it's just full mask off. He's manic. For yeah. And there's no doubting anything whatsoever. For such a for such a short storyline, it doesn't really feel like they've rushed it, which is I think it deserves to mention because like I feel like it would be very easy with such a short arc he's only here for like four or five episodes total so like I feel like it would be very easy to rush that storyline and completely over overdo it and they've really taken their time with it yeah I apologize I interrupted you Lauren go ahead no you didn't I was just I'm just I'm eight different places um for me this is always a really hard one because you think about what they say about how he's at the late end of the curve for when it might show Mm -hmm. up I'm about his age, and it always freaks me out about, like, if or when this is going to happen Mm -hmm. to me. So, watching the onset is a little bit tricky with that, and then also with what um, lovely Mary said in her last listener response, I can't help but watch it thinking about what her and her family are going through right now, too. Mm -hmm. So, colors it a little bit heavier. But no, I absolutely agree that the portrayal is excellent, and I think it definitely helps, like you said, that he has that framework and inspiration to go off of with Maggie, mm-hmm. compared to, like you mentioned, in contrast with Paul Nathan, where Don Cheadle's doing a great job, but where there isn't necessarily that kind of inspiration to pull directly mm-hmm. from. Both very good performances, very good actors, but when you talk about the source material you're working with, it kind of... right. Yeah, yeah, you're, there there is a built-in story framework for for Eric's story to to work around whereas Paul Nathan's storyline is coming out of nothing. Um yeah. but yeah, it, it's just it, it's it's such a a great portrayal and like it could be so easily overdone and so easily mm-hmm. caricaturized if that's a word. Like it could be mm-hmm. so easily like hammed up and I think he plays it 
pitch perfectly. I think he takes it right to the the level that you need to like get the point across, but without making it kind of a, a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for now, uh, we see uh, back to Susan's trauma uh, with Quinn, the little boy. Luca is in uh, helping out. Uh, she's still having trouble uh, intubating him, uh, and but does manage to uh, get it in. Uh, but then immediately kind of nopes out and is like, I've got other patients to go check on. And Luca's like, what the fuck, man? Like, don't don't, don't leave me hanging here. Uh, so Susan's not doing great. Uh, Carrie goes in to help with Quinn. Uh, they do lose the pulse on him right away. Uh, and uh, they're doing compressions. They manage to get a good pulse with compressions, but he's still not stable. So they go ahead and crack his ribs. And Haven't seen one of these right, in a bit. Haven't, haven't had to bust out the old rib spreader in a bit. And uh, Luca is doing some real cool smart doctor stuff in the chest cavity, as Lauren puts in the notes here. Uh, I couldn't fucking keep up with what was going on. Real cool. He was trying to, he's evacuating an air embolus. Real cool smart doctor stuff, I think, is the the clinical name. Lizzie, you take the notes. See how easy it is then. (laughs) Look, I know you've been under a lot of stress, and I'm glad we got as good notes as we have. So I'm. Thanks. Count, I'm counting my lucky stars. Real, real cool. Um, real cool. Smart doctor stuff sounds like a great idea for a T-shirt if I've ever heard one. So, guy, we have too many. Until people go. start buying the ones we have, I'm not letting us make any more designs. Link um, to our shirt. Link to our merch in the pod in the description of your podcast app. Also, Daniel, I'll have you know that mid episode last night, I realized I was swapping between first and last names again. So I went back and did a find of replace of Corday to Lizzie because it was like, fuck, I noticed it. Damn it. <laughs> They're on to me. It was just one that I happened to catch and I was like, I'm not going to hear the end of this on Tuesday. I got to fix it. Oh. Link to the link to the merch stores on the episode description on your podcast app. It's not in the description of your podcast app. I don't know why that. That means you have to remember to put it in there. Yeah. No, I will. Okay. I'm just going to be doing that going forward. Cool. Try to dri- try to drive a little more people towards the Pride merch, which even though it's not longer Pride Month when you're listening to this, all proceeds will still be going to Howard Brown. Trans and queer and LGBT, other LGBT charities. Um, anyway, uh, Carter's talking to Tong Yi, ex- explain, trying to explain the concept of a women's shelter uh, and ask Chen for help, but uh, Tong Yi is afraid of poverty or deportation, and what she's going through is essentially human trafficking. It's not essentially. It is human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she's, a, she's an indentured servant, yeah. so she really doesn't have a way out of her situation, mm-hmm. realistically. And uh, we find out that Aiden is also her child. But he doesn't know it. Ugh, just so not only not only would she risk losing her current baby and not being able to take care of the baby that she ha- she's having right now, but also she will never see her, she would presumably never see her three year old son again. Messy, awful. Yep. Um, but then Lizzie sees Nathan watching Joel as they see if they can extubate him, and he's still not breathing on his own, and Nathan's like. I can go talk to the family. And Lizzie's like, nope, I'm going to do it. Like, she's like, you've done enough. I'm going to go talk to this family. But Nathan also really, really dejectedly asks, why isn't he breathing on his own? Like, it's just like, it's such a naive 
and hopeful statement mm-hmm. from somebody who has been through med school and like should know that this was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why again I go back to what I said earlier that like I love the performance of Don Cheadle and maybe what I'm learning as I'm watching this is that I just really like Don Cheadle and I don't necessarily yes. love the storyline as much just because yes. like yeah. I said the storyline the storyline starts in such a weird place like we talked about last week or, or maybe week before of like they kind of did too much in the first episode. Like they kind of blew their wad in the first episode where she's so hostile towards him. And then they come to this like place of mutual respect by the end. And then it's like, okay, where do we go from here? And like, so they have to kind of backtrack in the next episode. And then this episode, it feels like, well, we can't backtrack any further narratively. So we kind of have to make him stupider. And it's just, so it's like, it's just very kind of messy. And I want them to fix it and I want it to be better because like I I think he is giving a I don't think any of the faults of the storyline are his. I think he is 100 percent doing the best possible job he can with what he's given. And it's just like the narrative here is so all over the place. I don't and I don't clearly there's some kind of line that they're trying to draw between like him having a chronic illness that is degenerative and, you know, is only going to get worse as he gets, you know, further into it. And his, like, need or compulsion to want to save terminal patients, you know, or, or artificially prolong their lives. And yet they they kind of fail to really, like, drive that point home. And Or it's not that they fail to, to connect the dots because it's obvious that it's there. But it's it's not like they're they're not trying to, like, say anything profound with it. They're just pointing at it. They're just going, like, yeah, you get it. He's He's chronic. And it's degenerative and then and they're not doing good like it's like they're just pointing at it they're not actually like saying anything with it or, or having him learn anything about it it's just kind of like yeah you get it you know he sees himself in them and then you know but i don't know like it's just it's kind of frustrating oh boy and then abby and carter are having a chat about eric in the lounge and she doesn't even know who to call to bail eric out or no, they're not in the lounge at this point, I don't think. But Carter tells her to go home and he'll get someone to cover her shift. And he says, you know, like, we'll get him a lawyer. We'll get it figured out. But for now, go the fuck home. Get some it's, rest. Let me tell you, like, it's fucking wild when it comes to the military. Like, even just as somebody as close as a military spouse. Like, if you're not, like, heavily tapped into your spouse's network of work people, like, if something bad happens you truly don't know who the fuck to call. Like, especially in a situation like that, where they basically just got plucked out of thin air by the KGB, you would have no fucking clue who to call and be like, where are y'all taking him? Where, you know, who do I call to get him bailed out? Is there going to be a court hearing? Like, you don't, you don't know any of that stuff because they don't tell you. It's just fucking wild. Well, Susan's out in the ambulance bay and Carrie comes to talk to her. Carrie tells her, so you didn't kill any patients. She just had a bad day trying to save some. Which perspective i like that it's a very sweet yeah. moment everyone everyone comes to the er because they're sick and sometimes that means people are gonna die and it's not necessarily their fault you can do it's what's the the phrase you can do everything right but still lose yes something something like that i don't know i just have my mantra is all i can do is what i can do it's true uh but sandy comes to pick her up and they tell susan that they're pregnant that there specifically carrie is pregnant Ray. yay gay because <laughs> i'm i'm thinking 2002 they wouldn't have been able to get married yet right no. certainly not not, not in illinois, illinois. Yeah. 
What the fuck? I think at the, I think at this point in time, I think I think probably the only state in the union that was doing them at this point was Massachusetts. Because um, even California hadn't had their same-sex marriage referendum yet. I think that happens yeah. in 2007, 8. I just yeah. take it for granted now. I'm just, yeah. what? Yeah, Massachusetts. For, for, a, for a long time, Massachusetts was the only one. We'll go Massachusetts, but what the fuck? Um, then uh, we learned Tong Yi signed out AMA because her family needs the money from her job, and she's too scared to leave Aiden. Well, that sucks. Uh, you know what else? Which sucks? is also kind uh, of Joel. that's also kind of how that story ends. Is basically yeah. you could basically have yeah. R. Scott Gemmel come out in front of the camera and go, "Well, that sucks." Oh, <laughs> no yeah. resolution. Just well, oh, that sucks. Anyway, what else? St- what else sucks is that uh, Joel is still on event. He was unable to come off it following surgery. So Lizzie comes out and has some choice words for Mr. Nathan, which we shall listen to. How's Mr. Seaton? He's still on event. When you first came to me, you requested that I treat you like any other medical student on my rotation. And I appreciate it. I know your disease presents you with innumerable challenges, and the very fact that you're standing here is testimony to your character. But the truth is, I would fail any other student with a similar performance. I realize I have to make certain adjustments to accommodate my disease. No, no. Political correctness aside, you are physically handicapped, and I would be doing a disservice to your future patients. So that's it? What's the appeal process? A promise. I will pass you if you do not practice clinical medicine. You can do radiology, psychiatry, but you must give me your word that you will never treat patients. No. I can't do that. Then you will fail, Mr. Nathan. Harsh but fair. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those, like, because she kind of has this conversation with him with less teeth uh, in the first episode, like, of the arc. And I kind of feel like it was incumbent upon her as the, the person in charge in this situation to have that kind of stern talk with teeth at that time, like, I mean, I get that she had to, like, let him try and, like, let him, you know, do whatever. But, like, also, like, now there's a guy on a vent who shouldn't be. Like, and it's it has resulted in real human consequence now. And so it's just... Uh... It sucks for everyone! Really Isn't that also kind of a hallmark of R. Scott Gimmel's <laughs> writing? Yep. It sucks for everyone. <laughs> it sucks for everyone. That, that might be one way to get his attention. <laughs> Make that into a t-shirt. R. Scott Gemmel. It sucks for everyone. Uh, we th- <laughs> <laughs> Spat on my water. Uh, we then uh, go uh, to Susan, uh, who is at home having a drink and a very nice looking dinner uh, with some uh, contractually obligated uh, licensed music, Nora Jones, playing in the background. Um it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a bummer that after uh, Mark gave it up, she didn't get to get her cool old apartment back. Like she, right? she lost out on her cool old apartment. Uh, and then we, she had to be in Arizona right? of all places, of, of all Gross. the places. And then we go to, over to uh, Luca at a uh, sitting alone at a bar when a, a pretty woman comes in and sits next to him, starts flirting. Uh, See what I did there? Yeah. No, I don't. I'm <laughs> sorry. Pretty woman. 
Oh, movie. sure. I mean, I guess. Julia is it, do, you, do you say that anytime those two words collide together? Do you just go, see what I did there? It's not really that you did anything there. It's just two words that are in front of and behind each other that also happen to be a but, movie title. But I knew she was. A, I knew she was. Anyway, it's, it's fine. fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm brilliant and it's unappreciated. He it's gets a call while he's in the middle of uh, flirting with this uh, woman. He gets a call from presumably the wife of the sad sack guy who came to visit him earlier in the episode. Uh, and he... Uh, does a little bit of a swerve and is like, uh, don't call. I don't think you should call me anymore. And just hangs up his flip phone, which is the biggest tragedy of all is that we don't get to have the satisfying close the flip phone hang up. Like we can't slam phones down anymore in the receivers. We can't slam our phone shut. Like what have we become? We used to be, everyone's just going to get those phones from the matrix. You know, we used to be a proper country. God, no. Um, but uh, we find out that uh, his lady friend here is, uh, in fact, a sex worker, and she uh, says that it's three hundred dollars for the hour, uh, two thousand for the entire night. And Luca, they start to make you think that Luca's just like kind of put off by the whole thing. Yeah, and he gets up and like finishes his drink and puts his jacket on, and then he does like a like comes back into frame. He's Swap. like, "You coming?" Which I'm just gonna say, healthiest thing he has done in months. This right here, right? Like. I, I know that they try to like paint this as a little bit more of like him falling further down the rabbit hole and like oh look at all the bad stuff Luke is doing but it's actually like no 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 this is actually low key the healthiest behavior he has displayed all season he is having, exactly he is having consensual sex with someone who knows what she's getting into and agrees and is being to it. paid there are no strings attached yeah. he's being paid there's there no, worry no, about, no worry no worry about no- emotional fallout. There'll like, be no further action between these two human beings, right. presumably, like, ever. Unless he just becomes a regular, but still, it's a business transaction. You don't have to worry yeah. about fucking up your life. Exactly. Like he's he's got doctor money; he can afford it. We've seen his place. Right. This is this is whatever. The, he'll this be is fine. The healthiest behavior Luca has exhibited in months. STT is pro sex work. Y'all oh, of go. Course. Everybody be healthy. Everybody be safe. Since whatever. day one, all the way up until season fifteen, 15 episode. Is it twenty two or is it twenty four? Fuck I if I know. Forget. But either way, I I I really do like their interaction though, and I yeah. like I like how respectful he is. Even right? After yeah. She says it. He's not like the. He's like all right. And again, uh, R. Scott Gimmel giveth and taketh because like I as much as I would normally expect his writing to veer into uh, like <laughs> she's a hooker, like <laughs> like you know like as much as as much as I would like expect him to do that. He actually manages to, like, hold it together and be somewhat mature about this. So, like, kudos to you, man. At first look here before she fully came into frame, I definitely thought it was the woman who played Donna from West Wing for, like, the briefest second before she actually... Thank you, Lizzie. For half a second. Still. All right. Anyway, let's go to the final scene of the episode, which is also our last audio clip here. Um, Of note, in the audio, there is some dead air, so... Don't touch that dial. You are still listening to Saying the Tone in the ER Retrospective, your favorite podcast, presumably. Um, but Abby is at home when Carter shows up with some food. I've been calling you. I was on the phone. Did you reach him? I might have to wait till morning. I guess some fish and chips from Brennan's. I'm not hungry. I bought it on the way home from work. 
took me an hour to get it out of the bag and then another 45 minutes to pour it in a glass and I still haven't had a sip. I just wanted everything to stop, you know? I just wanted to stop thinking about it. <laughs> I'm so glad you're home. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I wanted you to be wrong for both of you. If I were you, I'd run for my life and never look back. You don't hold the monopoly on screwed up families. You met my mother. She's not certifiable. I have an idea. I think we should get them all together for the holidays. <laughs> Gamma, my parents, your mother. I'm really scared for him, Carter. I know. And it's so unfair. Because he was such a good kid. And we went through so much growing up, and I really thought I got him through. I thought he was safe. He's going to get all the help that he needs now. We're going to make sure that he does. And nothing that you did or didn't do would have prevented this. Just said, Eric. Uh, he was the only constant thing in my life, you know. <clears throat> he was the only thing I could ever really count on. That's not true anymore. Promise? I really need something to hang on to right now. I'm not going anywhere. I don't hate it. No, I don't hate it either. And once again, as I, I will submit to yeah. the class, other than the last 15 seconds of that uh, interaction, you could have accomplished all of that and still had them just be friends. Like the the romantic <laughs> the romantic uh, aspects of their relationship are wholly secondary here. Uh, and it, it just reiterates what I've always always maintained is that they work much better these two actors, these two characters they work much better as friends than as romantic partners and so like you know this works just fine like this is ends up being a, a very nice very wholesome, very sweet moment here that you know you could just as easily delete or, or rearrange a couple of lines of dialogue and you would just think it was two friends consoling each other you know Maybe that's why I think they have chemistry here is because it's like they're not trying to for force the like weird relationship energy. It's just them being really good natural chemistry, yeah. which is friends. Right. So maybe that's why I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I like their relationship here. It's because, oh, yeah, because they're not trying to make weird sex jokes. Right. At each other. Yeah. I mean, and, and for anybody who thinks that we just, you know, devolve into like blind hatred whenever it comes to, you know, Carter and Abby together. It's really like it's this is proof that like you can have these two work together and have it work but you know it, it's the the romantic stuff is the least interesting part about them i think you could have had a really really fat I mean, and they do they do go back to that to a certain degree after uh after their romantic stuff is done but like 
I, I just feel like there was much more to gain from having them be really, really solid friends than there was to trying to force something that even the two of them, the two actors admit, wasn't really there and wasn't really working. Yeah, this this part of the episode, going back to this part of the episode almost got me last night. Yeah, I could see I, that. I was, I was a bit of a mess. I could see that. But... And I was here to support your mess. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I love you. Yeah, we know. It's fine. Um no, no, no affection but yeah so overall i'm gonna give this one an eight out of ten i think it was very solidly done um again like we've talked about up to this point eric's doing a great job he's playing the storyline real well i forgot that it's so short mm-hmm. like yeah we're almost we're already done. like a third of the way done um but yeah i'm i'm happy with it we know i'm always happy when some chess pieces get moved and stuff's chipping along so this one good we got some good frank Mm -hmm. got some shirley i'm happy with it not too much that i would change uh the um the unconscious girl storyline uh is a bit of a bit bit of a clunker i feel like not not, and not because not just because it's upsetting because we we you you always have upsetting storylines here and there like that that those are to be expected um but i think what i hate the most about it is that it is just so like shrug that sucks is the resolution like it's it's just shock factor right yeah it's kind of played for shock factor and it's um it was an interesting choice i guess to have it be you know this immigrant family and and have her be sort of like again it's it feels like there's a point that they're trying to make but not trying that hard you know like they're kind of just pointing at things and just going like this sucks but not but not really like taking a side or like or making a statement about it like it's just sort of you know and i don't know how you would fix that necessarily like part of me my my my, of course like reflex reaction is to be like well this should have been a purely a chen storyline like just let chen do this entirely but then also i feel like that's a little bit tokeny in and of itself like that is a little bit lazy and so like i don't know i don't know what the right answer is of how you fix that storyline but i do feel like it is kind of the the black eye on this episode where it's like in the episode where the guy had a black eye see now that's how it, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. um right there's layers there's levels to this you, you can't just shit post like this on day one um no like, <laughs> <laughs> no uh that, i think that is the thing that takes the most away from this episode there everything else is is doing good to great work and then there's that one storyline that just doesn't hit it's just there yeah, yeah. i'd say Seven, between somewhere between a seven and an eight, I think that's fair. Maybe not quite a solid seven point five, but like, I don't know. It's seven point two five. It's fine. It's fine. That no, there's your T-shirt. R. Scott Gimmel. It's fine. <laughs> well, let's just make for for someone that we've never talked to, by the way, and have never even sniffed talking to, and now I never want to. But no, what a great way. Like, let's do a viral marketing campaign where we just do a series of shirts where it's like, R. Scott Gimmel, it sucks for everyone. Like, R. Scott Scott Gimmel, it's fine. It's fine. No, R. Scott Gimmel, that sucks with (laughs) two hands, like, up, like, shrugging. R. Scott Gimmel, (laughs) she's a hooker. Like, just, (laughs) like. R. Scott Gimmel, (laughs) aren't fat people funny? And what's funny is that, like, he's, like, really good friends with eric paladino i could probably make it happen if i wanted you to probably could but i just but... really like i like the idea of us getting a, a television writer's attention by making mean-spirited t-shirts about him it's like the next escalation of the eric paladino syndrome oh 
let's be real, Daniel. We've done weirder shit. It's true. Very true. Uh, but what do listeners have to say about this one, Lauren? My soul left my body at these. I've already skimmed through them. I love you guys, but bear with me. Uh, Grace B says, once again, my commentary is too long for Discord. I cannot say I am sorry. Reminder that you have legal rights to interpretation services under the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and that in 2000, President Clinton signed Executive Order uh, 13166, which reiterates Title VI requirements for federal fund recipients and directs all federal agencies to ensure that their own programs provide equal access to LEP individuals. In response to this, OCR issued an extensive policy guidance to assist health care providers and other federal fund recipients in meeting their obligations to LEP individuals. LEP stands for Limited English Proficiency. And in 2003, this policy was further upheld by President Bush. This is all in the NIH's website. And to remind you that language access means language services either provided directly by your medical provider or a qualified medical interpreter. I'm sorry, y'all, but this one caught me right in the feels between inadequate language access and abusive and oppressive systems put in place to prevent people in need from having fair and full lives wherever they find themselves. I'm always happy ER tells these stories even when they upset me. Also, the actress who plays Tong Yi plays an important character in Undercovers, which is one of the most famous NCIS episode of its 20-year history. I swear there's like zero romantic chemistry between Carter and Abby, but this arc is one of the only times I like them together-ish. They just work so well as friends, and I hate this. This being the stupid fucking fish, which I believe she means Carby. I am disabled myself, but I am generally physically able, so as always, I will defer to anyone in the comments now or later with other lived perspectives. But I can't deny Paul Nathan is leaving the sourest taste in my mouth, and this episode cemented why. Side note, paging Jen because I do not understand Elizabeth's distinction about clinical medicine at all. How is practicing psychiatry not treating patients? I would think psychology or even just basic internal medicine would be something he could do that would absolutely qualify as treating patients. I'm not saying I don't know any physically disabled people who, I, who would behave like Paul does, but I am saying I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. His approach to his own disability and the way it affects how he interacts with patients and their care reads to me being written by somebody whose only actual experience with disabled folks is through inspiration porn. Yes, Paul's desperation to cure others at the risk of the health and overall quality of life for his patients reminds me of the able people who insist they'd rather die than lose a limb or lose their sight or something like that. I cannot believe that Paul's thoughts and feelings about other people's terminal diagnoses, never mind his own, contains so little nuance. Grace, oh my god, we should have just had read that at the top of the episode and we would have been done. Holy yeah. shit, excellent. Um, and yes, the, I don't think we stressed enough about that on the episode when we were discussing, but the um, abusive power structure with Tong Yi and the mm-hmm. Youngs too is something that, if I had had my brain right, I would have talked for about 20, 20 minutes on it. So... Thank you, Grace, for drawing attention to that because I dropped the ball. Um, I always thought that Lizzie's suggesting psychiatry to Paul was more her recognizing that, oh, this man has the ability to find hope where there is little to none. Hmm. That's Hmm. great for treating depressed people or 
for treating suicidal people or just people with psychiatric problems in general because there's a lot of hopelessness in that in that realm speaking as someone who has been treated for multiple psychiatric illnesses there's a lot of hopelessness so someone i feel like someone like paul would be would make a pretty pretty darn good psychiatrist personally Mm -hmm. lizzie i appreciate your optimistic take because those are so uh, few and far between for you so thank you Good eye. Good eye. All right. And at K Hubsy says, overall, I like this episode, but it didn't quite hit like others do. It's characterized by three heart-wrenchingly impossible situations. One, the pancreatic, pancreatic cancer patient who is running out of time and Nathan's need to save even the most hopeless of cases. Two, Abby's missing brother and the decisions she makes that lead to him being picked up the MP, by the MPs. And three, the nanny who is made a slave in order to be closer to her children. This does make for a nice parallel. Three situations that are no win in their very nature. And of course, spoilers, no one wins. This episode brings us to a funny... This episode brings us a funny but poignant little dichotomy in Susan's flippant response to her track record of killing patients versus Nathan's overarching overarching need to save everyone. He is the doc who cares too much, and Susan is the doc who is totally over it. Normally, I'd write off the fat-shaming jokes to 2000 humor being wildly misguided, but I actually think they stuck the landing by putting Don Cheadle there while Malik and Susan are making really cruel jokes over the patient's dead body. I've had a bad day really holds no weight as a defense, punctuated by Don Cheadle's not as bad as him. I really liked that moment because it was using Nathan's overprotectiveness for his patients as a positive, not as a negative. He just wanted to remind them that their patient was human and deserved respect. Also, there were three little lighthearted moments that made me smile amongst the general sadness of the larger storylines. A. Chen with Gallant and Harkins making the comment, It's a teaching hospital, not medical jeopardy is a nice little nod to Chen's growth since she was that overcompetitive student trying to one-up Carter just as Harkins and Gallant are doing, albeit with lower stakes, and B, Don Cheadle's best moment in all of this guest run, punching an uncooperative patient and saying, damn dyskinesia, and C, Frank telling Susan to get away from him after she kills the nun. I won't be the one judging you. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast, where for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to any future cast and crew interviews, probably not our Scott Kimmel, <laughs> that we may do, and over 70, 70 hours of bonus audio, bleh, and over 70 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, free-form multi-bonus show called The Lounge, Movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. I think, believe, what was Twister was voted yes. on next? Twister is our yes. next. By the patrons? Yes. Yeah, we're doing voting in those from now on, just because otherwise we'll just never pick one and it'll just become a whole thing. So, Twister, look forward to that. And character retrospectives, and character retrospectives where we reflect on departed main cast members. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Saying the Tone Podcast on Instagram. And we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. Also on Facebook, be sure to check out the official Saiyan Tone community. 
Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel Worker. Folks, find you at. They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y o u dot e l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren Worker, folks, find you at. Uh, folks can find me touching plastic rocks on my Instagram at lobo nine two three four five because apparently that's my whole personality now. Uh, it was also my whole personality, but I don't really post about it that much because there's not really climbing people on Twitter where I am. I am at randomgamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Bye.